So good morning, everyone. And um, thanks for coming out on this Saturday morning. There were many other things that might have been done, including at home, probably. And I um, want to welcome you to this day long on uh, cultivating wise speech. Uh, my name is Donald Rothberg. I'm one of the teachers here at Spirit Rock. And it's good to see a fair number of familiar faces and also to see uh, people whom I haven't met yet, who I'm just meeting for the first time. <clears throat> so I thought I'd first say a little bit about uh, my own background and interest in the topic and then talk about the, uh, talk about the day and the importance of speech practice and hear some about you as well. So <clears throat> just to say that uh, for those uh, whom I haven't met before, uh, I think I've had interest in speech practice for uh, quite a long time. Uh, my general interest in spiritual practice uh, has been uh, broad, I think, that I've, I've been very interested in traditional practice and have done a number of retreats, have sometimes been the teacher for our two-month retreat that's happening right now up the hill. So a lot of interest in silent practice and in exploring sort of the wonders of the uh, silent mind, the wonders and the challenges, I should say. And, and yet I've also for a long time had an interest also in seeing how to bring this inner practice of mindfulness and developing a kind heart into um, daily life and into the challenges of daily life as we find it in the beginning of the 21st century in this culture and so forth, with our backgrounds and so forth. And that's also been um, a major interest. I've had also a strong interest for a long time in connecting the inner practices to questions of social service and social justice. So uh, for <coughs> especially those latter areas, uh, I have found wise speech and the cultivation of skillful speech is a crucial tool for bringing our practice, as it were, off the cushion. Speech practice is essential for bringing our practice into our friendships, our families, our <coughs> organizations, our groups, our communities, our work with others. Um, speech practice is fundamental. And for many of us who have sometimes complained about not enough time for spiritual practice, guess what? <laughs> Once you start seeing and working with your speech practice, with your speech and interaction as spiritual practice, many of us have five or eight or ten hours a day to devote to spiritual practice. <laughs> and that a uh, shift in perspective is very helpful and really the aim of the day is to give a number of uh, foundational principles and practices that help us to have our speaking, our communication, including via email and via other types of communication, to have that be more continuous with our inner practices of cultivating uh, mindfulness, loving-kindness, equanimity, wisdom, and so forth. 
And in fact, I think speech practice is quite crucial because I think there are tendencies that I certainly see in myself, which I think are in some sense supported by the culture, to have our sense of uh, spiritual practice be more inner. You know, and I uh, do my inner practices and then I go off and I start talking and sometimes I wonder where my spiritual practice was. <laughs> I remember once we were at the end of a retreat. Uh, I think Jack Kornfield was one of the teachers and he was looking out at the group and said, you look so peaceful. Of course, you haven't started talking yet. <laughs> and so the, uh, the, the speech practices are wonderful. They start to bring the inner practices into these parts of our lives which are more complex. They bring spiritual practice into more complexity. One of the major complexities is another person. <laughs> right, this, this, uh, some people probably have had a thought if everyone could just do things as I think is right, it would be much easier. You know, but so we, we bring our spiritual practice into that kind of complexity, into relationships, into uh, larger social influences and so forth. And so it actually is a wonderful kind of practice that helps us to move towards uh, greater integration, greater sense of seamlessness of all the parts of our lives being organized by what we hold most valuable. That's really the, the hope. And also, very specifically, to connect what we sometimes call the inner and the outer. To connect those two dimensions. And a lot of the practices that we'll be exploring have the aim of uh, helping us to bring our sense of mindfulness and our sense of uh, loving kindness or, or care into the, the act of speech. So I think, you, uh, I think you know how important speech is, that we can <clears throat> have a few words sometimes can lead to um, severe conflict. Wars have been started by a few words. You know, there's, a, there's a New Yorker cartoon which brings this out pretty well. It's a scene, it, it, there's an image of a, a woman standing up, talking to someone who's taking notes, who seems to be like a detective. Then there's behind her, there's a couch. Behind the couch, jutting out on the floor, are a pair of legs. Behind the, what it seems to be this body is a police officer. And the caption for the cartoon is, <clears throat> he misspoke, I misheard, and shots rang out. <laughs> and so, unskillful speech, as we know, can lead to suffering, can lead to relationships being frayed. Just a few words. I've, I, was, I was noticing just in the last week, you know, I was watching like a, an email exchange of very, very few words, that just a few words, and suddenly a relationship was in jeopardy. Quite interesting, right? I think we know that. 
We also know that words that are skillful and caring can shift my experience from suffering to one of feeling connected and feeling heard. Right? That, that uh, the possibility of skillful speech is that of uh, comforting, healing, um, resolving difficult situations and so forth. So it's the potential for our speech being skillful and the potential to work with our unskillful speech is, is very large. So um, what I've intended for the uh, structure of the day is to communicate some of the, what I've taken to be the essential principles and practices that I have found useful in probably uh, the last 20 years of working consciously with speech. And I remember <clears throat> one of my beginnings in my speech practice was quite a long time ago when I was first meditating and I had a very uh, close friend and she said, Donald, you don't really use right speech, you know. And whether that was skillful speech is, <laughs> is a question. But when I looked at myself, I had to say, yeah, I don't really pay much attention to how I talk. I'm kind of on automatic. And yet, so I really, in a way, thank her because that was the beginning of giving more attention to speech. So um, I'll divide the day really into uh, four segments. <clears throat> we'll have uh, two segments before lunch and two segments after lunch. And each of the, as it were, morning sessions, the morning sessions will be divided by a short walking period of about 20 minutes. That'll also be a time to use the bathrooms. Um, if you wish. <laughs> but uh, by all means, uh, you can know that there'll be, for example, uh, a walking period at about 11 or so, in a little, little less than an hour. But by all means, use the bathrooms if you, if you need to. You can just get up, fine. And the, my aim is to have lunch somewhere uh, probably between 12.15 and 12.30, somewhere in that. It'll be about an hour. And then the afternoon session, again, with a walking period, probably about a 20-minute walking period, uh, dividing the segments. Uh, I don't know when that will be. I think about three or so, something like that. Yeah, a little bit after three. And there is a schedule posted at the back, tentative schedule posted at the back. Um, what I'm intending is in the morning to work with foundational speech practices and in the afternoon to bring up the theme of how do we work with these foundational speech practices when they're challenging situations. So in the morning, foundations. In the afternoon, more application to difficult situations. Uh, that's, the, that's the intention. So, and I've, um, this first part before the first walking period, in, in a little while I'm going to give a little bit more of an overview and particularly focus on what we might call the, the ethical guidelines for working with speech. This is the main area that we receive from the Buddhist tradition. The historical Buddha uh, really focused on ethical, what we might call ethical guidelines for speech, uh, which, are, which I'll talk about in more detail, which are about being 
uh, truthful, being helpful, uh, coming out of a kind heart, and, and having certain kinds of appropriateness for one, the speech, particularly uh, timing, very important. I'll, I'll get to that. And we'll also do, we'll do uh, some practice together for, throughout the day. I'll probably do a little bit more of the talking the first part of the day, uh, particularly this first period. And then we'll be doing uh, practices, uh, working with speech uh, throughout the day as a way to, to uh, learn uh, better and to bring, bring the practices, make them our own. Uh, so the first part of the morning on the, the kind of the ethical guidelines for working with speech practice, which can be very, very helpful for, for bringing these into practice. And then set the second part, I'll be particularly focused and focusing on how to be mindful in the midst of speech. And we work with these ethical or behavioral guidelines, but we also want to work with how can I start to have some degree of inner awareness at the same time that I'm acting or interacting. Not easy, right? So we'll give some attention to bringing awareness into, into speech. <clears throat> and I'll include, I think, a sum on how do we work with our inner practice when we get triggered, which is a big thing for the application in the afternoon. And I'll probably continue the uh, first part of the, the uh, afternoon after lunch with looking at that question of how we work when we're in a speech situation and we're triggered. Triggered means I become uh, angry, irritated, uh, my, I find um, nasty words forming in my consciousness. <laughs> and uh, what do I do internally? How do I practice with that? And that, that will actually be a crucial practice. If we could, when we are triggered in a speech situation, if we could say, I'm getting triggered, what should I do? That becomes huge, right? So, um, and we'll also work then with, with what do I do internally in difficult situations? How do I work internally? How do I look at that situation? And also, how do I uh, work externally? How, what, what kind of language use is skillful? And we'll, we'll bring in a variety of elements in the afternoon related to uh, what we do internally and how we, uh, particularly focusing on um, how we work to cultivate empathy in a difficult speech situation. So I'll, I'll bring in a few elements. And I should say that for the whole day that I'm uh, choosing what I take to be the essential elements of speech practice that, uh, as some of you know, I've been teaching, uh, co-teaching lately with uh, Nyanako uh, Oren Sofer, uh, a seven-day retreat on speech practice. And we have about 30 or 35 hours of materials. <laughs> and we're going to be getting uh, what I think are the essential parts of that. And uh, actually, I have some flyers out because we'll be offering that retreat as a non-residential retreat in Berkeley in May. And you may want to uh, continue with that. And after that retreat, I'm also going to be offering, I think, a three-month follow-up class. Because a lot of this, you'll, you'll get the principles and practices here, 
but the essence of it is really bringing it into everyday practice. So um, a support group uh, is a very great way to, to have this develop. And unfortunately, I can't really do this next month because I'm going to be on retreat all of the month. So hopefully doing skillful internal speech. <laughs> So, uh, but there, are, there is some information out there on that. So, just really working with the uh, essential elements. So, please, the question. Is it possible to turn the mic down a little? There's some feedback. I thought I heard something. So, I think Sean probably, maybe could one of the volunteers get Sean? <clears throat> there, there he is. We have a report of uh, feedback. Okay, some echoing, I think. Thank you. Um, so just a few uh, further logistical details. Uh, I'd like to invite you to see this as a day of practice. And, and so if you can, we'll actually be going back and forth between silence and interaction. And I found, in, particularly in working with groups and in different kinds of trainings, that that is a, it's a very beautiful rhythm. It's a good rhythm for training. It's also a great rhythm for, for daily life. One of the uh, great techniques which I'll impart to you, I'll, I'll actually say it right now, one of the most wonderful, important techniques is when you feel triggered in a group situation, uh, take a break. Um, particularly, take a bathroom break. This, this is one of the main spiritual techniques that I'll <laughs> pass on today. It's very bad etiquette for people to ask about how long you spent in the bathroom or how frequently you go. So always um, in difficult speech situations, take a time out. But there is, there is something about that going back and forth between inner and outer, which can be very helpful. So we'll be doing that a lot. We'll be speaking through exercises and so forth. But I'll invite you in the walking meditation and the transition really to stay in a basic framework of silent practice. And then um, I'll invite us during lunch. Some of you may want to have some silent practice, but I'll invite us also to practice during lunch. But to have that sense of uh, keeping, keeping generally a, uh, a silent container except for what needs to be said. <clears throat> and there will be at times how, I still hear an echo, do you? Yeah. More, more echo. Okay. There will occasionally be, uh, there'll be times when people will speak about their own issues related to speech, and I, I just want to say that we should, we should remember the intention to hold everything that's said here confidentially. If people say things uh, publicly to not, especially of course of a personal nature, uh, to not have those uh, really leave the hall without uh, asking permission. Does that sound better? Yes. A little bit better? Is it still loud enough? Yes. Okay. Good. Um, Good. So what I'd, what I'd like to do before getting going and talking about the, the ethical guidelines, I'd love just to hear from a number of you about what your in intentions are for being here. So I think the, maybe if one of the volunteers could use the, bring the mic 
and just to ask a few people to speak maybe in that, if you could speak in that sentence or two of your intention for, for being here today, that would help, uh, I think, all of us to be informed. Anyone like to just say what brings you here, please? You can also uh, say your name, please. Thank you. My name is Larry, and I serve on a board, a public board, and uh, with uh, six, seven other personalities in the room, why speech is really good to keep things moving along and keep yeah. people in, you know, engaged. Yeah. So this was remarking on the value of wise speech in a, a group context. And or, this is in the context of a board and organization. And I'll bring in in the afternoon some of, the, some of what is helpful, uh, probably also a little bit in the morning, some of what is helpful in a group context or an organizational context. Because we can think of wise speech as an individual practice. We can also think of it as a relational or organizational practice. We probably can think of it as a national practice if we think of the Congress or political discourse. And someone, uh, I don't, I, we haven't received any in invitations to teach wise speech in the U.S. Congress. <laughs> okay, please, right next to you. Hi, my name is Greg, and I am a lawyer. Um, yeah. I represent parents and children in the child abuse system. Oh, yeah. And I am here to learn how to be my best self without getting triggered. We deal, you know, yeah. I would love for you to come and teach lawyers in our court system and yeah. judges. And I mean, I think we need more of this. And I don't know how to, I have, I'm just dipping my toes into the practice. So, yeah. hoping. Great. Yeah. That's great. So, again, a um, relational context involving lawyers and in a situation which can sometimes be conflictual. And uh, yeah, very, very crucial. And we actually do have lawyers retreats here at Spirit Rock. And I, I've worked a number of times with lawyers. Um, mostly they call themselves collaborative lawyers. So, and we're particularly interested in mediation. But yeah, but there is um, a wonderful, wonderful application. So, uh, please, in the third row. My name is Alice, and when I get triggered, um, I use words as weapons. Yeah. I'm uh, extremely, I have a great vocabulary, and uh, <laughs> I really know how to use it, and I really slash people into ribbons, and I'd really like to stop. Yeah, so thank you very much. Uh, about noting how uh, she uses uh, words at times as weapons and has... Uh, is ready to, to shift from that. How many can relate to that? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, look around. <laughs> okay. okay, so uh, very good. Uh, please, uh, next, uh, right behind you, Robin. Hi, uh, my name is Robin. I'm a psychotherapist and I work with couples and I try to teach speech and I find it very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, here, this is about uh, teaching wise speech in the context of, of couple psychotherapy. And um, yeah, very, <laughs> very wonderful. And again, uh, we'll, we'll work with this uh, principle 
when we get to difficulties, but the, one, of, one of the important aspects of bringing wise speech into these kind of situations is to practice where the situations are not so difficult. It's like an Olympic diver, right? You don't start with highest degree of difficulty. And so very crucial to do a lot of practice and not to start right with the most difficult situations in all of these contexts, to, have, to develop a wise speech practice in fairly low degree of difficulty type situations before you graduate. Of course, you're getting paid for the difficult ones, right? So challenging. But you could, yeah, you could give them practice. So you can uh, maybe right behind a few rows. Hi, I, I'm Gail, and I'm looking to bring awareness when I'm in situations with people that have way different histories than I do, mm -hmm. and different cultures, mm -hmm. different colors, different backgrounds, and how to speak into their concerns even though I don't have that background, mm -hmm. but to br be able to bridge and bring in more uh, availability, acceptance, and community. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, very beautiful intention to bring skillful speech into those kind of situations where there are differences, whether it could be all sorts of differences, but cultural differences, uh, differences in styles, you know, maybe uh, across all number of differences, whether it could be gender, class, ethnicity, etc., uh, country of origin, and so forth. Yeah. Thank you. That's a big one. Yeah. Okay, maybe take, uh, there are a lot of hands up. Let's take a few more. I don't want to privilege the front, so there's one right in the back rear. So. Hi, I'm Jackie. Um, so I need to learn how to effectively be a mom and co-parent to young kids with my soon-to-be ex-husband from a very hurtful relationship um, that has a history of his using his, my kindness and forgiving nature against me. So I need to learn how to be assertive but still retain my kindness yeah. and for the betterment of the kids. Oh, yeah. So it's tough. <laughs> <clears throat> So how do the, so the, the challenge here, a challenging situation, again, we'll come back to that principle of practicing in less difficult circumstances. It's difficult how, how to keep wise speech and the principles of wise speech and still be assertive, you know, uh, make boundaries, and so forth. So uh, <clears throat> I sometimes uh, think of that under the rubric of... Uh, the Buddhist equivalent to tough love, which we call tough metta. <laughs> but if you read the old text, the Buddha was often extremely firm and assertive and presumably loving. So that's, again, maybe higher degree of difficulty, but very possible. Yeah. Okay, maybe right up uh, a few rows right in front there. Right, yeah, right there. My name is Joe. I was sent here by a heckler, in effect. By? I, uh, I, I said I was sent here by a heckler, in effect. Oh, okay. I, had, I gave a speech about 10 days ago about human trafficking, in which I thought everybody would be nicey-nicey. 
And un unexpectedly, I, there was a heckler who was rather aggressive. And so I dealt with it by being patient and, uh, of course, being angry. And it struck me that my patience was, was really dishonest. And uh, uh, there must be a better way to, to handle that than just being outwardly patient. Yeah. I remember George Carlin one time at a performance. He was being heckled by somebody in about the 20th row. And his method of dealing with it was to say, would somebody beat the S out of that guy? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt. <laughs> well, I think, the, I think the Buddha sometimes got heckled. I mean, there were definitely people who tried to kill him, which probably is a little worse than heckling. Um, but yeah, so I think we're getting a nice list of different kinds of challenges, right? We could really, we could, we, I see we could actually probably make this about two or three days already, you know, and get, get to some of these challenging situations. So I think there was someone right uh, in the row, row or two in front of you, right there. Please. Hi, my name is Wendy, and I teach at a community college, history, humanities, and philosophy. Uh, my intent is to model, encourage critical thinking. Yeah with loving kindness. Yeah, great. Right, so how to, how to bring together critical thinking uh, with loving kindness. And then and there, I know um, I actually uh, was myself, a, at, for a period of time, a college teacher, and I taught critical thinking. I know we were not given instructions on in how to teach that to have a lot of loving kindness. You know, and not that we were taught to be mean, but, but it was, you know, the way in our culture we tend to have those critical mental capacities disconnected from the heart, right? And then I hear that aspiration, which is quite beautiful, which is, you know, to bring, which is, I think, even connected to the question of how, do you, how can one be assertive? It's bringing these qualities together that are sometimes separated. You know, that we, in our, an occupational hazard for Buddhists or people who do meditation is being overly nice. Does anyone relate to that? Okay, I think there are a few more hands would go up. Okay, or uh, sometimes being overly nice, feeling scared of the assertive territory, or the oh, this might be aggressive, or you know, whatever. And so, um, yeah, bringing those capacities is very, very crucial. Maybe two more. Let me. Uh, why don't we go right with that person right next to you? <clears throat> Hi. Um, is there a way of with close personal relationships mm -hmm. some of for me have gone back decades um, where try as I might to use principles of wise speech it doesn't register and is there a way to use wise speech if you can't get a conversation to in simple way use writing is is that a possible um, thing that you could talk about later. Or mm -hmm. Thank you. I, yeah, and your name is? Nancy. Nancy. So a, f a, few, a few points there. One of them is how to bring in wise speech when it doesn't seem particularly reciprocated, right, which is a big issue. And we'll, we'll get to that in the, the afternoon. <laughs> and the, the, short, the short answer is wise speech is always possible and desirable 
even if the other person's a stone wall. And stone walls sometimes uh, change. So it's a short answer for that, but then you're also talking about writing, you know, and how it's basically how to be skillful with challenging situations in this particular one. So maybe one more that's in the, maybe towards the back. I think. Uh, Okay, there's oh. <laughs> more in the, in the <laughs> middle area. <clears throat> My name is Jean. My intention is to be able to speak, use wise speech in situations um, as an owner-manager for a small business of criticism coming from a kind heart but speaking wholly the truth. Yeah. And my intention is <clears throat> to practice more praise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. So again, it's that balance of how to be um, give feedback, let's say, uh, while con keeping connected with the, the good heart. And then the positive practice of cultivating praise, or we might say... Um, appreciation related to gratitude as, as well, which are wonderful practices. Okay, so I know there, there are a lot more, but those are a wonderful recording of different, um, different aspects. So, so I think what I'd like to do is say, give a few words now about the core, teaching, uh, core teachings from the Buddha on right speech. <clears throat> and on, <clears throat> and then go to an exercise which we'll do together in the last part of the morning before the walking meditation. As I read the text, the suttas, the, the teachings of the Buddha, the primary, the primary teaching on right speech, or what I'm calling wise speech, comes forth as the offering of guidelines for skillful speech. And I should just make a comment that the, the word right in the Buddhist tradition, um, I think might better be translated by words like mature or complete that the, the word is sama, which is related to our words like summary. And right has a sort of moralistic connotations at times. So I think if you think of what we're talking about today as uh, mature speech or um, developed speech, highly developed speech practice, that's what we're looking for. That's what's being talked about when the phrase right speech is offered. So we sometimes use wise speech here to to uh, get around those moralistic connotations. But the actual meaning is of speech that is mature, speech that has been well cultivated and is well developed. That's the, that's the connotation there. And I reconstruct these core teachings as essentially about following certain guidelines, which are guidelines both for behavior and for what's happening internally. And we'll continually work with that balance of the inner aspect of speech and speech practice 
and the outer words, as it were, the outer, the outer expression. So this is, this is uh, one of the clearest expressions um, <clears throat> of those different elements. This is, this, is, uh, this is from the Buddha. Abandoning false speech, one abstains from false speech, one speaks truth, adheres to truth, is trustworthy and reliable, is one who is no deceiver of the world. Abandoning malicious speech, one abstains from malicious speech, one does not repeat elsewhere one what, has heard, one what one has heard here in order to divide those people from these people, nor does one repeat to these people what one has heard elsewhere in order to divide these people from those people. Thus one is someone who re- reunites those who are divided, a promoter of friendships, who enjoys concord, rejoices in concord, delights in concord, a speaker of words that promote concord, abandoning harsh speech, one abstains from harsh speech, One speaks such words as are gentle, pleasing to the ear, and lovable, as go to the heart, are courteous, desired by many, and agreeable to many. Abandoning gossip, one abstains from gossip. One speaks at the right time, speaks what is fact, speaks on what is good. At the right time, one speaks such words as are worth recording, reasonable, moderate, and beneficial. So... I've reconstructed passages like that and other passages to talk about four qualities of speech which we can cultivate. As I mentioned, I reconstruct those as first, being truthful, second, being helpful, third, coming out of a good heart, and fourth, having a certain appropriateness of speech, especially having uh, good timing. So I want to talk briefly about each of those, and then we'll do an exercise together, then we'll do a practice together. Um, And what's interesting about these four is that we have to actually have all four together. We could be truthful and not be helpful. I think we know that, right? That is sometimes called dumping. (laughs) And what's very interesting is that we have to have all four of them. We can be truthful be helpful, come out of a beautiful heart, and have bad timing. And it doesn't work, right? So it's actually a subtle teaching of giving four interrelated qualities. So let me just say a little bit about each of these. Um, and these are, these are guidelines. And of course, in actual situations, we have to unpack what each of these means. We don't, you know, just saying be truthful there are, as it were, situations where we don't always know what it means to be truthful, or there are issues that come up, subtleties that come up. So here we're being asked generally to to be truthful. And this is actually taken in the tradition, this first aspect of being truthful is taken to be the most important. Sometimes it's said, uh, in the Mahayana tradition it's said, that uh, Mahayana is the later tradition that comprises Buddhism in Tibet, China, Japan, and so forth. Zen, for example, would come out of Mahayana. And in that tradition, it's sometimes said that the Bodhisattva, the one who's dedicated to inner and outer uh, transformation, uh, can at times, for practical reasons, go against all of the ethical precepts, but not being truthful. Quite interesting. It's taken to be a very, very strong 
ethical precept. And we actually can see that uh, outer truthfulness is the counterpart in a certain way of inner clarity. And inner, both inner moral clarity and clarity of really about what's going on. And so it's taken to be, taken to be uh, quite crucial. Um, it also, I think we know, is tremendously simplifying. When we are truthful, we don't have all those secondary levels of, did I say this? Who did I say that to? All the complications. Think of someone who is not truthful and think of how complicated it is to keep track, you know, uh, and so forth. Um, now, probably for most of us, the interesting area about following the guideline of truthfulness is not so much whether there are outright lies, although it's interesting to look at that. We're interesting to look, are there areas in my speech where I'm not so, where I'm not so truthful? And sometimes they're about small things or uh, not always so crucial areas. You know, like I know that <clears throat> um, when I was a teenager, um, I thought that my feet were too big. You know, every teenager thinks that at least two or three parts of the body were formed incorrectly. <laughs> right? and, and so <clears throat> I would exaggerate about my, my feet. I would, you know, if, if I got a pair of shoes that were 11 and a half, someone asked me, oh, what size are your new shoes? I would say 11. And I, I found that the, the residue of that speech in teenage years carries over to being an adult. Interesting. So, so if something like that comes up, I still, you know, I still can find some, something going on in the mind, right? So, so you can see that obviously truthfulness is going to be connected with larger issues in our consciousness and in our mind. What we probably are particularly interested in when we follow this guideline is to look at where there are more subtle ways that we depart from truthfulness, such as what? Exaggeration? Um, you know, sort of so-called uh, benevolent lies? Uh, omissions? You know, not saying something? Uh, giving half-truths? Um, those are what we can look at. When we have that intention, sometimes this comes more into relief. When we take that when you make that stronger intention to be truthful. And I would say that if we were considering, for example, um, f moving from this day long and following a curriculum to bring wise speech more into our lives, a very good way to proceed would be to take the different components of the day and work with them for a period of time. Like, so for example, to work with these four guidelines on speech practice and do that for a week, or maybe, maybe take each of the four and do them each for a week. I once was guiding a group that was focusing on wise speech, and we were, we were focusing for six months. And so I would, um, I, I, we worked with each of these for you know, about a month or two. And I remember it was, it was a very alive practice for the group, and I, would, I actually would, uh, I still have on my wall you know, like right next to my telephone, I'd write these four guidelines, right? Truthful, helpful, you know, good heart, good timing. And I, I would actually, when the phone rang, I would say, truthful, helpful, good heart, good timing, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and you can do this. This is, this is how to make this real for yourself, these little practices like that. Go to a meeting. 
I would go to meetings, I would write the four guidelines on a piece of paper in front of me at a meeting. Very simple ways, because a lot of this is just to remember. I think you know that the, really the difficult aspect of bringing spiritual practice into daily life is not the difficulty per se, it's remembering to do it in a busy life, right, or a distracted life. So these little, I'll, I'll be mentioning these little techniques along the way, but having, you know, working with these guidelines, having them around your, you know, around your house, you know, someone can invent, you know, an app that, <laughs> you know, that every 15 minutes says, are you being truthful? A <laughs> 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 four or whatever, right? And so here we want to particularly, when we take that intention, we are particularly on the lookout for these, for most of us probably these, uh, less obvious ways that we're not truthful. Exaggerations, half-truths, omissions, and so forth. And I think most, most deeply we also want to look into, am I, am I truthful about my life? Am I truthful about the deeper issues of my life? The very crucial area of um, our speech practice, really. And to see, you know, the other part of using mindfulness with speech in this way is to see is to, in the moment, when you notice yourself exaggerating, having an omission, to use mindfulness to say, what's going on here? Right? What's really happening? So a lot of the ways that these ethical guidelines work, to call them ethical guidelines, is they really spur our inquiry in terms of our speech practice. They help us to say, okay, that's going on. Let me notice right now what's there. You know, and I notice, oh, I want to appear this way, or I feel uncomfortable, or you know, I'm nervous about this situation, or whatever it is. Just this, so continually inquiring is really what's being invited by these guidelines. The second is helpfulness. And this is, again, really crucial that truthfulness by itself is not enough. We want to ask, is what I'm saying helpful? Is this going to be, is my motivation really to be to be helpful in the situation. And this goes against uh, uh, tendencies to have more negative intentions. And we want to really look at that. And again, we can use the guideline to highlight when we depart in some way from that motivation. You know, we can ask ourselves, am I helpful? We can also look to when we're clearly not motivated by being helpful when we're actually trying to uh, harm or where we're trying to do something negative. And we can bring that to mind and, and really inquire what's really going on here. That's the spirit of, this, of that guideline. The third guideline could be called kind or loving speech. And again, there are a lot of subtleties here, such as how to bring kindness and warmth into challenging situations where we have to be firm, set boundaries, be assertive, and so forth. And we, I think we can maybe come back to those in the afternoon. So there are a lot of subtleties here. We don't always know how to come out of a warm heart and protect ourselves, say what needs to be said, be assertive, etc. And so that's, that's a challenge. Initially, a lot of people have the motivation in their speech practice, I want to come out of a kinder heart. You know, and especially in a society where we're, all, we're, we're so busy, sometimes the quality of the good heart isn't always there. Now, I know 
when I was doing those six months of speech practice, I looked at which of these four are more there, which are less there. And I found that I was almost always truthful and helpful, but I wasn't always kind, particularly when I was busy. I didn't always come out of a warm heart. It was more sometimes the interaction was, I think we all know this, let's get this interaction over so I can go on to what's next. Right? That's not kindness. And that quality of kindness you know, is, invites us somehow to be more present, right? not to be so future-oriented. So a lot of issues here. But that kindness, again, can be so powerful. You know, I, when I was um, thinking a lot about uh, this quality of kind speech, I, I was talking to my mother and Bernice. And I asked, I was talking about this, and she instantly thought of something which had happened over 10 years ago. She had been to a <coughs> talk by a man named uh, Robert Lifton. Some of you may know him. He, he was actually one of my teachers when I was in college. <coughs> and he's a psychiatrist and has done a lot of work on human rights and activists and so forth. And he was actually the person who framed the term psychic numbing because he did a lot of studies of war situations and of traumatic situations. And he was giving a talk. And the first response in the Q&A time was by a woman who, for most people there, clearly had not understood what he was saying. And there was almost like a collective groan which went up in the room when she spoke. And everyone expected him to say, you know, I didn't, re- I didn't say that, you know, and to be maybe a little snappy or just to really. And uh, my mom remembered he was so kind in that situation. He spoke and he said, oh, I can really see how you might have thought that. And he really connected with her, we would say empathically, really connected, met her, was really friendly, joined her, and then in the course of it did clarify what he was saying in a way that almost, it was almost, uh, you couldn't tell that it was in any way criticizing her or juxtaposing what he said to what she said. And this, this stayed, this probably took 30 seconds or a minute. Over 10 years ago, this is what she remembered. It was that moment of uh, warmth or kindness. And I think we probably, maybe even right now, are remembering similar situations we've had. So very, very crucial to bring that in. And I know, again, for a lot of people, the, you know, your edge in your speech practice may be, can I bring the good heart to this moment, to this, to this situation? And then getting into some of the subtleties which we mentioned earlier. <clears throat> and then the last one, could generally bring under the rubric of appropriateness. You know, is the speech appropriate? Uh, the Buddha particularly talked about timing, interestingly. You know, you could see the Buddha walking around saying, make sure you have good timing. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> you know, and he, he talked about timing. In the text that I read, you saw that he, he used the term, go- translated as gossip. And, and I think that he was meaning by that talk which had no purpose. I think a lot of what we call gossip actually is more local news, you know, and it's not necessarily negative. But I think what he was talking about was the kind of talk which might involve frivolous, distracted thought, 
which maybe is backbiting or being quite negative. I think that's what's being uh, questioned there. And so really to look at um, how much of my speech is chattering. That comes under this fourth one. As well as the question of when I have this challenging interaction or challenging situation that I want to speak about, what's a good time? What's a good time to speak? And particularly this will come up a lot in challenging situations. I, at least to ask the question, is this a good time to speak about, speak about the situation? And I was thinking some of you know uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. And in his community they have what's called a peace treaty where they agree to work with every conflict, no matter how small, within one week. But there are a lot of teachings about how in the heat of anger or, or conflict, it's often not wise to speak. It's often wise to say, let's come back when we're a little more balanced. You know, again, obvious in a certain way, but often a lot of difficult speech situations occur when we don't follow that guideline. So these are the, these are the four. And uh, I offer those to you uh, as something to bring, something to bring to daily life. You can use those lists when you go to meetings. You can do, you can um, work with one of them uh, a week for four weeks, practices like that. I had one student who had a teenage daughter. And before every difficult conversation, she would write the four qualities on her hand. <laughs> and she would talk to her teenage daughter looking at her hand. <laughs> and she said, improve things very much. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I want to do an um, initial exercise, which is uh, first I want to invite a reflection. Actually, maybe I, maybe I should just take a moment and see if there are any questions or any um, about any of these four criteria. Any, any questions anyone has? Questions of clarification particularly? There's one in the back. Do you so, want the microphone? Please, yeah. Okay. yeah. I guess I had a question. Okay. <laughs> about the microphone. Okay. <laughs> uh, right in the back, yeah. Uh, I have a question about the timing. My, yeah. I guess for my personal problem is there's the timing of when to say something um, for fear of there's the pink elephant in the room, we can't say anything, and so you hold it in. And then there's the passive aggressive, or I, I got to say it now, and then it. it yeah, so, so questions about um, uh, knowing what constitutes good timing, right? And um, as I mentioned, I think that. The, the main offering in the traditional text is of these guidelines. And they're not, we don't have a manual which gives, you know, 50 different aspects of good timing. And so there's a certain amount where we're, we have to work with what's, um, what seems wise. But I think that what is particularly crucial is really just to, I think if we ask the question, is this good timing, check out what's going on inside. For example, it's almost never good timing if I'm reactive. You know, if I, if I notice that I'm reactive, meaning that there's some strong energy, 
uh, typically aversive or uh, grasping, that, or I'm upset, irritated, and so forth. Um, unless I can be quite skillful with those states, it can often be really valuable to, for it not to be good timing. We're going to look at that more in the afternoon. If, I'm, if my body is flooded, right? we know that there are certain chemicals that are active in the system that'll make it very hard to be balanced when I speak. If, I'm, if, I'm, if my body is activated and flooded related to anger or something else, that's probably not a good time you know, to really notice what's going on in the body. And of course, the good timing for a conversation has to be mutual. So you want to find a time that, that works for the other person. But I think, uh, on the other hand, we can't really be perfectionists. If I have passive-aggressive tendencies, I can't wait to speak until those are entirely gone. Right? And so uh, I think that asking the question, is this good timing, uh, does about 80% of the work. And it's particularly if I'm, I think the main criterion I would say is, um, am, I, am I reactive? Right? Am I, could I be more balanced? Yeah. Does that help some? Okay, thanks. Okay. Thank you. I'm a world famous withholder and um, wonder about you know, timing seems to be connected to withholding, but omissions are also connected to that. Is there something you can comment on around that? So a question about the relation of timing to um, withholding, you know, having, could you say a little more about um, tendencies to keep well, things to yourself? Well, a withhold might be, uh, in my own life, uh, I was dating someone who said that she, at some point said she had been uh, angry with her ex-husband for 20 years. <laughs> and my withhold was, um, if, you know, if you can't get past that, you'll do that to me too. And so I can't really be in a relationship with you. And my with that was the withhold. And of course, exactly what happened was, you know, within that withhold. So yeah. I lost choice. Yeah, yeah. By withholding. Right. And um, yeah, I think I, I remember the studies show that uh, in intimate relationships uh, with men and women, I think uh, women bring up difficult issues about eighty percent of the time. None about 20%, I think. <laughs> there are those studies. Um, that being said, um, yeah, I think we're here. Um, that will, first of all, it sounds like an edge for you, you know, an edge of learning. So I think I would, I would explore really what, um, what would be to, you know, when I'm feeling uncomfortable, could I communicate something? And to experiment with that, and just to really uh, see see what seems skillful for you, um, but that you know that would be connected with with noticing some tendencies, and of course uh, it's complex because you want to know you know what is the capacity of the other person to receive what you have to say, so it's complex, you know. So let's okay. Okay, let's, let's do an exercise now. So the first part of the exercise is to reflect. So this will ask you to go inward. And we'll, this will take about uh, 
about 15 minutes or so, and then we'll have our, our walking period. So first to reflect how would I like to develop further in my speech practice? Now find one person, maybe uh, next to you, uh, with whom you'll form a dyad. So and move so you're sitting, so you can begin talking with that person in in a few moments. So do that right now. Find one person, could be the one right next to you. Introduce yourself. Raise your hand if you need a partner. Raise your hand if you need a partner. So there's there. Keep, uh, keep raising your hand if you need a partner. Okay. There are two, two to my left. Anyone else need a partner? Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.